too much. Let's talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening. I'm Eric John. And before we get into it, of course, I have to tell you about my friend, John Scambato at Yacht Club Soda. This soda is the best thing you've ever tasted, I swear, on my life. Uh, since I was a kid, I've been drinking this soda, and anyone who lives in Rhode Island or is from Rhode Island knows about Yacht Club Soda, but now you don't have to live in Rhode Island to enjoy this amazing drink. You can go to YachtClubSoda.com and order some for yourself right now. They've got orange cream, uh, blue raspberry, strawberry cream, uh, they've got root beer, uh, they've got lemon lime, they've got all sorts of amazing flavors. Grapefruit, they've got grapefruit, right? That's sort of like a fresca type flavor, right? Grapefruit, it's amazing. It's the best thing you'll ever have in the summertime. It it's quenches your thirst. It makes you feel so refreshed. Um, and they use uh, all natural cane sugar. It's the best art, artisan soda you'll ever have. So just trust me, go to yachtclubsoda.com right now, order yourself some soda. You will not regret it. Okay, on the show today, I'm super excited for this episode. Uh, uh, I've been listening to this guy for a while. Um, his his Twitter spaces are legendary. Uh, he's he's such a talent, and he's got a great mind um, when it comes to pretty much anything, but especially when it comes to cryptocurrency and and that whole world, NFTs and everything. Um, really doesn't need any further introduction. Uh, Patty Stash, welcome to the show. Yo, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on. I got to say, man, I, you know, there's a small, small group of people who I can just listen to for forever, it seems like for hours and hours and hours and never get tired of hearing what they have to say. And you're absolutely like right at the top of that list. Um, you have such great insights about not just crypto and and the crypto world and NFTs, but it's the way you think about it and the way you break it down, and the way you talk about artists and all that stuff. That it's just it's really fascinating. When when did you first get into the crypto world? Uh, so I you know I got into crypto in mid twenty seventeen. Um, you know I come from a traditional finance background. Uh, you know when I was in my twenties, I used to work at a hedge fund. I worked as a trader for many years, so I've always you know dabbled in finance basically since high school. I got into the stock market back in '96 and uh, put a thousand bucks in the stock market and turned it into fourteen grand. And you know from that point forward, I was kind of hooked. But I've uh, been in crypto almost seven years now. And you know as you mentioned, you know the way I go about things is a lot different than a lot of people. And, you know, I just think that's from like, you know, an experience perspective. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'll, I'll take an asset, whether it's, you know, whatever, it doesn't have to, it could be anything, an NFT, you know, cryptocurrency, whatever. And what I try to do is I look at all aspects of that element or, or of that asset and try to determine where value can come from it. And so my timelines and my timeframes are always much different from people because, a lot of people in this market are constantly jumping from thing to thing. And it's like, I understand that. And it's like, if you enjoy that, great. 
but I, I don't enjoy that anymore. I used to do it for years and years and years. And I've kind of over the last, you know, 20 plus years have come up with my own formula of how I go about doing what I do based off trial and error of 20 years experience. So, you know, I have people that will critique me on things because of how I go about it. But it's like what they don't realize is I've been doing it for over 20 years. And it's like I figured out my own little method that works a little bit better than, you know, what you read in a, you know, technical analysis 101 book. So uh, a lot of the stuff that I do and say is a bit different than most people in the sense that I'm not really looking at that short term uh, pump that it could potentially make. But instead, I look for things that I believe have this inherent value that once discovered by people, they will see what I see. And, you know, over the past 20 years, I've had a pretty solid history of making predictions on, you know, cryptocurrencies, assets, whatever it may be. And, you know, if you're patient, they usually play out. And uh, the main thing that I do that's different is I like to try to find, you know, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are considered value investors where they basically buy distressed companies that, you know, they see have value, but at that time are undervalued because of XYZ reasons. So there are a lot of cryptocurrencies that exist that I think have immense value. But at the moment, nobody really acknowledges or recognizes that value, so they don't care. And I completely understand it. But that's the difference between them and myself, where an asset might be trading at a few pennies and, you know, someone may look at it and go, I don't want to touch that because there's really not much going on. And it's like, I don't blame them because most people in this market trade on momentum and, you know, hype and euphoria. So if you've got a token that's not really doing much, nobody's going to really want it. But they don't understand like the potential value that it hit has. And so that's what I try to focus mainly on is finding those gems that have all those little idiosyncrasies that give something value. And I'll buy it, I'll hold it, and I'll wait. Because I know from 20 years experience that this does this, this will lead to this. If this plays out, that will lead to that. This happens here if that happens. And if one or two or three or four or 10 of those things happen, it just co starts compounding and it becomes like a freight train. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, there's different components and elements that give tokens value. But if you don't have good mathematics behind the token, you know, it could it could be a disaster. So there's multiple elements that give things value that lead to higher price increases. So over the last 20 years, I've basically learned about reducing risk, assessing risk. And I know I'm, I'm rambling here because your question was how long I've been in crypto, but no, it's all risk good, is one of the most. No, yeah. <laughs> I, look, this is what I love about you, Patty, is that, you know, your your brain works in, in a very stream of consciousness way. And one thought, you know, it's not like it's random. One thought leads to the next. And, you know, um, it's it's it's. You, it's, it's important, it's important one, man like well yeah, yeah and it's you, important to be able to talk about these things in a way that's entertaining and in a way and also in a way that people can like the average person can understand because it is it can be a very technical conversation one question i had for you is are you surprised um about the extent to which um so many people don't seem to understand the difference between investing and gambling oh god yeah uh, it's it's actually starting to become somewhat frustrating because, 
you know, for years and years and years, like if you're a trader or investor, like you used to trade on technical analysis, or if you're an investor, you invest on like, you know, the fundamental values of a pro of a company and, you know, what kind of money they make and, you know, what, how much they spend and things like that. Whereas nowadays it's just like, oh, wow. Uh, you know, people, one of the most famous NFT artists drew an NFT that has a picture of a cryptocurrency that just came out last week. And then all of a sudden the price explodes for that reason. And I'm like, why? Like, just because people drew a picture like people buy it. And I'm like, well, what if the token is terrible? And that's the kind of thing a lot of people aren't thinking about. They're just like, whatever, you know, it's on this NFT and everyone's talking about it. So they buy it, they hype it up and it shoots up. But then like the token ends up being garbage. So all those early people that got in, like, yeah, they made money, but then they left everyone else holding the bag. And it's like, that's been happening a lot in the market. So there's like a small group of individuals making money and a lot of people are losing money. And, you know, for me to see that happening, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, it's, you know, the expression haste makes waste and people are hastily jumping into an asset because they see everyone talking about it. And that goes back to the same narrative I always say about most people in this market trade on emotion. It's not the fundamental value of an asset. Instead, they're just going from thing to thing, jumping around, hype, 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 not really knowing what they're doing or, or why they're buying, what they're buying, what it is that they're buying. And like, that's a good way to lose all your money. Like, yeah, you could get lucky and, you know, hit, hit a couple home runs, but you're playing with fire. And so, you know, just someone who's been in the market for so many years, like I no longer want to do that. I, I would rather do what I did with Shiba Inu. And, you know, everybody remembers Shiba Inu, but so many people seem to forget that I talked about that token for literally months before it did anything. And so the question I have to people is, do you realize why I chose that token instead of all these other thousands of tokens? Like, there's a reason, you know, there was a very specific reason and I was very specific as to why I did it. And I talked about the element of risk. And I said that this has all these little weird idiosyncrasies that remove essential risk. So when the price started to move, it really started pumping because of, like I say, these little checkboxes that that token had. But the thing that I just, I can't stress enough is there's people that jumped in later on and made a lot of money. Yeah. But then they kind of use that as like their clout. But if I was to compare them to myself, I would say, who would you rather follow? This guy that jumped in this project at the end and then like started banging the drum saying like, hey, I, I, I was in this token. Or would you rather follow someone like me that discovered it before everyone else knew about it, knowing it had the possibility to have value? And it's like, if I went back and looked at a post from myself in 2021 and saw myself talking about it in February saying, this is a really special token. I think it could be the next Doge. And then I go into explicit detail as to why. And that exact scenario played out. It's like I think to myself, how could you for a moment think that that was luck? There was some luck involved in the fact that it became the biggest pump that like the market's ever seen. but. It wasn't lucky that I selected that token 
And I waited for months and months before it finally picked up. So it's like, you know, same situation with Suka right now. People don't really get it. They're sleeping on it. They're seeing everything else moving. I don't blame them. But once the price starts to creep up and once it breaks over like that 15 cent barrier, that's when it's going to be a game changer. And that's when the whole world's going to wake up and go, wait a minute, what is this token? How is it pumping? And then that's when I could just say, hey, <laughs> you guys forget in 2022, it made a bigger pump than any other token in the market. And it's like, it's not random that things like that happen. So, you know, do you think, do you think it's something to do with the fact that like, let's, let's say just in, in the example of Suka in this situation, um, which just for people listening who might not be following this stuff as closely as maybe we do um you know there's there's a lot of these coins right now as we're talking uh known as meme coins right they're sort of these these coins there's trillions of them and you know there's these wild swings in value and people are trying to make a million dollars and basically it's like swinging a baseball bat with your eyes closed and hoping you're going to hit a home run um meanwhile there's this Another, I guess you could call it a meme coin, and it's called Suka, but it's got a, a much smaller supply, and it also seems to be much more sort of stable. It doesn't have these wild swings. So is it the kind of thing that after the dust settles and people have kind of gone through these roller coasters, you know, they're, they're going to be looking for a little bit more, something that seems a little bit more reliable, and then that's when sort of everything, everyone kind of starts looking towards a coin like a Suka? A thousand percent. That's exactly what I am waiting for. So the way that I see it, right? Back in 2022, the market was terrible. That was when Bitcoin was at like 17,000. Yet, Suka was like this beacon of light in the market. And, you know, a lot of people seem to forget, but just like with Pepe, Suka was like the token that sucked the life out of the market and like literally 10,000 Suka derivatives popped up. So, you know, th that was the good times. And there's no, it's just like saying we went out, we got drunk, we had a blast, and now we've been dealing with this hangover. So once the hangover wears off, we're ready to rock again. Whereas everything else in the market that did anything in the past couple months, they're all about to start suffering that hangover. At least I believe, because I don't think there's enough money in the market to keep those tokens that were pumping from you know nothing to hundreds of millions of dollars to keep them going. We need that new money to enter into the market for that to happen. And I do believe that that's probably still at least you know six months a year off. And I say six six months a year off because basically you know I, I follow the Bitcoin halving, which is going to be the beginning of 2024, and historically about six months after the Bitcoin halving, Bitcoin pumps, then the rest of the market pumps after that. So that's why I have this you know early 2025 prediction of when I think everything is going to go crazy, but. So in the past couple months, all these other tokens made a lot of people a lot of money, but now they've all reached this level of saturation. So there's people that are, you know, probably still holding Pepe, some that, you know, probably had large positions that sold on the way up that still have a bag and they're thinking, hey, if it pumps again, I'll sell, you know, we'll see what happens. And then I do believe that after it went from nothing to 1.5 billion, it's going to take a long time to recover. So while there's people probably thinking Pepe is going to make another pump in the next week or two, like I don't think it's going to. Could it? Yes, of course. If it does, I do think it will be good for the market because it'll show that immense amount of money can be made in short periods of time, which will bring more money back into the market, which will then start the whole fire going again. But while all these other tokens pumped, Stuka basically has finished its pump. 
And now it's like we're sitting on that launch pad just waiting for the right catalyst to come in and launch it. And, you know, with any token, we've all seen it a million times. You know, you're sitting in a token, it does nothing, you get bored, you sell it. And then right after you sell it, out of nowhere, it just explodes. So the one thing that I just can't seem to understand with people is the two, the one year anniversary for Suka is in two weeks. And it's like, there's a lot of selling happening and we can't really figure out where the selling's coming from. And I have this weird, you know, theory that it's the, you know, earlier, earlier investors I got in that are purposely selling to destroy the price, to demoralize people, to try to create, you know, a situation where maybe they can accumulate for lower. I don't see it going below three cents, but the thing that just blows my mind is so many people got so caught up in that Pepe hype that it's like, you know, the dust is now settled. And I believe that now the bleeding is going to start to begin. So that's why Suka is in this perfect position, but nobody's really paying attention to it because it, it hasn't done anything and it hasn't moved. So with the two year, well, I'm sorry, the one year anniversary coming up in less than two weeks, I, I just, you know, I'm aware of stuff that's going on. There's, as you know, it's community-based token. There's tons of different groups of people doing stuff behind the scenes, but you know, I speak to a lot of them and collectively, it sounds like all of them have stuff coming that's, you know, about to come out soon. So, you know, I could say it till I'm blue in the face. And I realized that, you know, saying one thing is something. And then, you know, it was just like Telcoin years ago where I was talking about Telcoin. It really didn't do anything. And I said, just be patient, you know, like they, they haven't even come out with a product. And then all of a sudden, one day they make this announcement, everything changes, and then it goes on to pump almost 700x. So, I feel that Suka right now is positioned perfectly. It fits that meme coin narrative. It's a dragon token. Everything in the world now we hear is like dragon this, dragon that. Elon's talking about dragon. Vitalik's talking about dragon. We got Game of Thrones, 2024, year of the dragon. So this is basically a token that has this outlier mathematics, and it has all these elements in demand that I think are going to give it hype that once the hype starts, it's not going to stop because this is basically the only token that's a dragon. And like, I don't know, there's just a lot of really weird stuff that's been coming out. Like, I'm not really big into the whole lore aspect. I'm more looking at the mathematical element that gives it demand, knowing it has these uh, properties that will give it demand and get it excited. So, one, you know, getting exciting. So once it gets exciting, price starts to move. And then that's when I believe Suka becomes Suka because it's going to need that hype first to get moving. And then once it gets moving, that's when people are going to kind of realize, hey, this, this isn't your typical pump and dump meme coin. You know, a lot of those meme coins that came out, they're, they're literally less than a month old. And it's like, that's kind of scary. Because nobody knows what any of them are going to do. I mean, because Pepe was such a success, so many other people created these Pepe wannabes. And because so many people missed Pepe, they went into these other tokens, not realizing what it is that they hold. Like they could just rug tomorrow. So I definitely, definitely, definitely believe that there's going to be a redistribution of wealth from a lot of those really speculative, skeptical meme coins into more solid projects like Suka. And the main issue with Suka is people are saying, hey, there's no utility, there's no utility. Just wait, it's, it's in the works. So it's like, again, this token is special because it has this, you know, outlier token distribution, these mathematical absolutes. But now 
the, 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 the work behind the scenes is about to be brought to the forefront. And all it takes is one little catalyst to shift that momentum. And then once the hype begins, I really don't think it's going to slow down. And it's like, I'm almost getting tired of talking about it because Suka has been so dead for so long. And so, you know, of course people could break my balls all they want, but again, I stand by what I said on Jan or I'm sorry, on July 3rd, the day that I bought in the day that I bought in, I said, this is a, po- a project that I believe has the potential to be 50 billion. Nothing has changed. Nothing will change, but of course the price is down. That's all people see. So when they see the price down, you know, oh, I'm stupid, blah, blah, blah. But let's see what happens in the end, because that's where I always prevail. My years of experience have educated me to be able to narrow my focus to what I believe are the tokens that will have the most value. But you may not notice it yet, just like with SHIB, but just give it a little time. And once the, the wheels start to turn, it's like a, it's, you know, I was calling Suka not a freight train, but I was saying it's like a power plant or like a nuclear power plant where it emits energy and anything that attaches to it can benefit because of the fact that it's like a, a locomotive that could pull anything or a power plant that could power anything. And because it's still a young project and that utility element hasn't come into light, people haven't really seen it. But there are things coming and I know this and I know that they're coming out with, I, I think it's, you know, it's already been discussed. It's a, you know, they're building their own decks, the decentralized exchange, but it's a DEX that has functions that no other decentralized exchange has. And the main function, and in my opinion, the most important is it's going to have an order book. So to people that are traders, they know the importance of, you know, having a level two or the ability to see the buy and sell orders currently on the books. So, you know, if there's a large sell order and you're a large buyer, you would be able to purchase that big chunk without creating slippage. Whereas if you didn't know there was a large sell order there and a large buyer put in a market order for Suka, they could drive the price up 50% with one buy. And so having an order book gives users the ability to see the buys and sells, which is what all centralized exchanges have but no decentralized exchanges have that at the moment. So I can't see how that would not eventually become adopted by every single decentralized exchange. So it's like, you know, they're coming out with this element of utility that's never been done before. And just knowing how things work, I can't see how everyone else won't follow what they're doing. So, you know, let's just see if it works. Yeah. So for a coin... Like, you know, uh, like a Suka, for instance, you know, that's what we're talking about Um, to reach a level of, say, 50 billion dollars in market cap. Right. It's going to need some sort of mainstream adoption. Right. In the sense of even like if we we talk about something like Doge, um, it's not as mainstream as Bitcoin, obviously, or Ethereum. But, you know, it was talked about on Saturday Night Live, that kind of thing. Right. How, you know, I, I feel like the average person who might dabble in crypto and, you know, might invest here and there can kind of wrap their head around Bitcoin um, and why 
it might be valuable or why, you know, what the, the advantages to holding Bitcoin are. Um, is it, is it harder? Why is it so much harder to explain to the average person why these, all these other coins um, have value and, and, you know, how, how do you envision um, getting more mainstream adoption into, into these other coins that maybe aren't as easy to explain to the average person? Well, you know, every token is different in so many different ways. I mean, you know, obviously you have teams that create tokens for specific, specific designated purposes. And then like, you know, the, the whole idea of the meme coin right now is becoming crazy because it's like, what is the use of a meme coin? And it's like, you know, people are like, oh, it's, it's part of the culture or whatever. Like, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. But the, 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 you know, thing I mentioned before is I said it's almost frustrating at, at how much hype drives stuff and people blindly FOMO into stuff just because everyone else is doing it. So, you know, we went through this recent month where the market was pretty much dead except for meme coins and that they have all since, you know, kind of died out. And so it's like, why you know where why do they all die at the same time like where's the sustainability like what happened and it's just because the market this crypto market's so weird it it moves in like cycles of hype where there's small parts of the market that like get hot and then everyone focuses on that small part of the market and then once that dies down like something else gets hot but you know, ultimately, we need Bitcoin to move up for that money to come back. And as you say, you know, Bitcoin, people understand it. But, you know, Suka to me is basically the same thing as Bitcoin, but I say it's Bitcoin on Ethereum. And what I mean by that is it's a peer to peer network. There's no CEO, there's no team, there's nothing like that. However, because it's built on Ethereum, you could build, you know, decentralized applications into it, which is, you know, a, a bit unique. But um, the, the market's in a weird place. You know, there's a lot of people like, you know, for example, Link. Chainlink to me is one of the most incredible projects that exists. But literally for two years, it's done absolutely nothing. And it's frustrating to a lot of people. But like, does that mean it's not valuable? Not at all. It's just it hasn't kind of broken out of this rut that it's been in. But once it breaks out of that rut, that's when everybody then refocuses their attention on it. So it's just crypto is this weird asset that it's so cyclical that you literally have to go through torture to then hit this period of hype that doesn't really last long. And the thing about that is, some of these tokens that will get hyped up will then die and never come back because they don't have those elements of value. Whereas many tokens like Bitcoin, they pump, they go sideways or, or they pump, they'll go down, they go sideways. Then they pump much bigger. Then they go down, then they go sideways. Then they pump much bigger, then they go down because it's ha it has value. And over time, more people discover that value. So those are the kinds of tokens I look for. You know, the ones that if they've been through two or three market cycles, every market cycle, they've gotten bigger than the one before because overall the number of holders has gone up, the number of users has gone up, and just overall that token continues to 
have that inherent value that people see and they want to continue to hold on to it. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but no, you know, I think it, I think it does. I think it does. And, um, yeah. you know, I think that, you know, I think part of it is, um, that, you know, whenever a new technology comes along, there's going to be a huge portion of the population that just doesn't grasp it and has a hard time grasping it. I remember when, um, you know, my grandmother first started using the Internet and, not, you know, the Internet had already been around for at least 10 years before she even started using it. And even when she started using it, you know, she didn't understand what it was. All she knew was that if she clicked in a certain place with the mouse that it would bring up her you know game of solitaire or whatever that was online um and she was using the technology but she didn't really understand it right and so um i'm not saying it's a whole bunch of grandmas out there but i think even people um our age and older um it, it, it's gonna take some time to for for you know people to really understand what this is and how it works and you know i think that's probably just part of it there's probably only so much you can do to really explain it um the other thing i wanted to ask you about is are is your when, when it comes to nfts um is your philosophy in terms of assessing value the same as it is with crypto basically or is the is the added element of you know, digital art and a personality and whatever else might be behind an NFT make it harder to assess the value? Does it make it easier? Does it really depend on the situation? How do you go about making those calculations when it comes to NFTs? Okay, so uh, yeah, kind of the same philosophy. You know, everything that I've done, I always consider myself to be like a, a lone wolf where I like to do my own research. I like to figure out my own stuff and kind of blaze my own trail. And I did the same thing with NFTs. Uh, the one thing I will say with NFTs is they're even less misunderstood than crypto. And, you know, what I could mean by this is <laughs> there are so many people in the NFT space that if I was to say, hey, listen, like I see you own a couple NFTs, explain to me what it is that you own. They'll just, you know, oh, it's, it's a picture or whatever. And, and they don't understand like, the fact that it was minted on a blockchain that will forever prove the exact time and date that it was created. And so that in 50 years from now, we can go back and, and track every single freaking transaction to figure out exactly what happened, who bought what, when they bought it, when they paid for it. And to me, that is amazing. So when I got into the NFT space, my philosophy i had a couple different philosophies where one one was i am going to find the people who are the best at what they do in their fields of art that are getting into the nft space and i want to buy some of their art because they are you know famous in their own in their own way with you know what they do with you know 3D art, motion design, whatever it may be, you know, they may work for some big company and then all of a sudden, hey, they got into NFTs and they created a couple NFTs. So the stuff that they create is like, you know, incredible as far as the skill, but nobody really knows who they are. And, you know, some of them aren't even in the space anymore, but I still feel confident that those couple NFTs that I may have bought from that artist that, you know, works for Nike and all these other big companies, 
will have value in the future. And what I mean by that is, you know, in, in five or 10 years, if that artist is still doing his thing and he's still a big name in the space, like there could be people that say, you know, this guy's been making art for 20 years and, you know, he works for all these big companies and he's incredible. And then all of a sudden they go, you know, I, I want to buy his own personal work. And it's like, yeah, you know, he's never really made any, but he created a couple NFTs, you know, 10 years ago. So when I got into the space, I basically put a five to two year, 10 year tem timeline on a lot of the NFTs that I bought before I believed their true value will be like real. You know, I had so many arguments with people about NFTs and their values. And, you know, now that we look back, I could say that 99% of those conversations that I had, I was right. But it's just because I had 20 years market experience on these people that may have been a photographer that got into the NFT space to sell photography NFTs, but knew nothing about crypto or market cycles. So, you know, one of the cool conversations I had with a lot of people when, when you know, Ethereum was still pumping before it even maxed out, I was asking people, how do you, how do you value your art? Is it in Ethereum or, or in USD? And everybody said Ethereum. And I'm like, you know, that makes sense because Ethereum recently pumped from 100 bucks to now, you know, 4,000. So I'm saying, saying, okay, <laughs> right. You know, you, you minted your NFT. Say you minted your <laughs> NFT a year ago. And at the time you minted it, I bought it for a hundred or I bought it for one ETH, but Ethereum was a hundred bucks. So I paid a hundred bucks for it. So say, you know, fast forward a year, Ethereum pumps 40 X. Now it's at 4,000. So I still paid just one ETH. And so I'll go to that artist and I'll be like, Hey, listen, man, like, how do you value your art? And they're like, oh, and in ETH. And I'm like, okay, well, that's because Ethereum right now is $4,000. So if I bought this piece that I paid one ETH for, for a hundred bucks and sold it today, I'd sell it for four grand, I'd profit 3,900. So I'm saying to myself, okay, I understand their, on their logic, but I'm going, you minted an NFT on a blockchain that's a cryptocurrency. Ethereum's a cryptocurrency, it's a coin. You minted it on that chain. So you're basically saying that you believe the value of your token is based off whatever the value is according to that cryptocurrency. Okay, cool. So what happens if in two years, that cryptocurrency is no longer? Your NFT is worthless, right? And they're like, ah, no, no, no. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And so during that time is when Ethereum hit 4,500 and then plummeted down to 1,700. So those people that I had those conversations with when at the time Ethereum was like four grand and they're all telling me they value their work in Ethereum, I went back to them and I said, hey, your work is worth half as much as it was, you know, two weeks ago. And they're like, oh, no, it's not. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you know, at the time that, you know, so-and-so bought it, they paid $6,000 for it, and, which was 1.5 ETH. And I'm like, okay, so now 1.5 ETH is worth, you know, 3,900 bucks. So you were just telling me you valued it in Ethereum when Ethereum was higher, which meant the fiat value was higher. But now that Ethereum dropped, you're now telling me that you value in USDC. So every single artist did that same thing. And so that was just kind of a fun test that I did 
just to kind of test the knowledge of people. And, and see. it's not even it's not even the idea that like, you know, <laughs> as the value of Ethereum starts dropping, that they're going to oh all of a sudden they're, they're saying it's, you know, they're talking about what it's worth in dollars. But, you know, I, I see people that start raising their prices in Ethereum to, to, to counteract, you know, the yeah. drop in the value. Whereas when like, it was going up. You know, when it was going yeah. up, I didn't yeah. see Why them did dropping their prices. Lottery? Yes, exactly. So this to me was <laughs> like so a fucking, it was a joke. And so I just, I just kind of wanted to go back to every one of them and say, thank you for proving that you have no idea what you're talking about. So all of those people were wrong and they all had this idea based off the past experiences. So because they knew nothing about Bitcoin market cycles, they just thought, oh, man, Ethereum is probably going to hit 10,000, you know, <laughs> duh. And then I'm thinking to myself, guys, you got no idea. You have no idea what's coming your way. So it's the same shit with these meme coins. They you know, is it, is it, Patty, is it really, yeah. when it comes down to it, right, to really boil this down, does it really come down to an issue of time preference in the sense that, um, there's just some people who cannot see things with a long enough view um, to really be able to invest healthily um, and that there's always just going to be a lot of people who who are only who are only going to see things in the here and now or maybe they'll maybe they'll look a few months ahead. But, you know, they're not they're not looking they're not patient enough and they're not willing to um, to to wait for value to accumulate or to actually grow in the, you know, in the course of, like you said, 10 years. Um, you know, I, one artist, I, you know, I know that you like, and who I'm a huge fan of, and uh, you know, how I'm lucky to feel like I can call a friend is Paul Massey. And here's a guy who has done amazing in real life work for huge companies. Um, you know, you, you probably don't even, you probably see his work and you don't even know it's his necessarily sometimes. Um, and like you said, yeah, like, you know, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, um, you know, he creates some really famous, you know, form of art for an advert, you know, for uh, some big company for for an advertising uh, campaign or something like that. And, you know, it becomes part of the popular culture. All of a sudden, there's this NFT that he made, like you said, 10 years ago. I own ago. it. I you own have it. it. Right. I and, own it. Chaotic right. dimensions. Own it. I right. own it. Right. And, and look, and maybe let's say maybe for the sake of argument, when you bought it, you know, a few months later, you could have you could have sold it for double just because maybe in that little moment there was a little bit of hype or whatever. And you could have made a quick little profit. But that, that's going to pale in comparison to what the potential value of it would be if you're really able to just be patient. One thousand percent. That's exactly it. So. There is waves of value where, like you say, yeah, I, I probably could have bought it and then sold it for a double. And it's like, cool. But that's not me, first off, because I bought that. Well, I, I, the piece I'm talking about is Chaotic Dimensions, which is the one that I think is Paul's probably his most famous piece where it's oh, got it's so that, cool for people who, yes. who don't know what we're talking about. Um, it's this really cool piece of um, digital artwork. It's uh, it's um, 3D motion art and it's sort of like a like a visual moving comic book and it's uh you know it's it might be like maybe 15 seconds long or something like that um but man it's just it, it's it's so 
Uh, and for people in the NFT space, especially, it's, it's a very iconic piece of art. I mean, everybody I know in the so NFT space iconic. knows this work of art. But, um, you know, it's something like and look, and, you, and part of it, obviously, is you just you really don't know. You don't know what the future holds 10 years from now. But if you believe in somebody and, and you know, this is why I I am much more fascinated by NFTs, because you really do have um, situations where you have an individual uh, behind it who um uh ideally you know who they are you know their name you know their backstory you you know you know what they're capable of um and i've told this to people many times and i'm not one to give financial advice but when people ask me i tell them what i would do and i would not even ever i don't think consider um buying an nft that's made by somebody who doesn't show their face you don't know what their real name is you don't know who they really are um, this is like one of the bonus bonuses of NFTs is that you can you can own a crypto token that has like a real human being with a real talent behind it. Um, the other thing you mentioned that's really cool about NFTs is the provenance. And, you know, I was actually it was so funny. I was just watching an episode of Pawn Stars the other day and um, a guy brought in a what he claimed was a straight jacket that was used by Harry Houdini, right? And of course, how do you prove that this is one of Harry Houdini's straight jackets, right? They have to call in some expert who has I to. I watched then, that episode. Actually, you've seen it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, great. yeah, yeah, I've seen it. So, so, and and look, amazingly, it's almost a miracle they actually were able to find a photograph of him wearing this exact jacket, right? And they were able to match up the rivets on the jacket and the stitches on the jacket with the one in the photo. Now, fast forward 100 years, right? And now in terms of the collectibles market, you don't have this issue. You don't need an expert to come in and say, you know what, that's a Monet or that's a, a Paul Massey or that's an Elrock or whatever. It's it's just all we're already there for you. There's no debate. It's there. It's in black yeah. and white. Um, but people and don't I, they they don't get the the providence like you say. That is what gives value. Okay, so uh, it's it's hard for me to damn man. Like there's so many things that I do that are so. Like I'm so far out there, you know, <laughs> like it, it's like almost it, it, it's like it's it's hard for me to like talk about things because, as you say, you could buy something, you could sell it for half. Yeah, cool. But I don't like to do that because I basically will say this is something special, I think. And it's like I don't think people really see how special it is now, but. It will take years because once this technology develops and people start figuring out, okay, this leads to that and that's that. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, this guy owns that that came out 10 years ago and it's the first and only one. How the hell did he know to buy something like that? And that's the kind of shit that I'm always thinking. So I own multiple NFTs that right now I would say the biggest collectors in the world probably don't know exist. They probably wouldn't buy it, but there is going to be that collector that's going to discover these pieces. And these are going to be the ones that I think are going to be like my, excuse me, my retirement. And so one in particular, Playboy's first ever one of one heritage NFT. 
minted on Super Rare. I own it. It's my pride and joy. And the reason I say this is because after I bought it, I had a very, very large collector. I would say he's probably one of the top 10 collectors in the world. I'm not going to name his name just to out of respect for him. He, I, I paid a, I think I paid like 15 ETH for it, which at the time I think was like 52 grand. He offered me a substantial sum of money greater than what I paid for it, like multiples higher. And my response to him very kindly was, you know, if you add a zero, I'll consider it. And the reason I say that is because after I said that to him, he wrote back to me. He goes, I get it, man. He goes, I don't blame you. And he goes, uh, I go, there's another one there. And he goes, no, 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 no. You own the one. And he goes, you own the first. And I said, I know. And he goes, you know, I, like I, you know, he's like, I don't blame you for not selling it. And I said, your, you know, the, the fact that I respected him as a collector and the fact that he came to me and offered me this large sum of money for it made me feel good. But then it was the follow up dialogue that the two of us had that really solidified that I may have made a really strategic investment here where, you know, he was like, dude, that's the first ever Playboy NFT. And it's like, I know, I know, trust me, because, <laughs> because when that came out, it was a collaboration with Super Rare and like four other artists. So there were four artists that did a collaboration with Playboy um, and then Playboy released its own one of one. So, you know, I wanted to make sure like, hey, I, I have to find out, is this the first ever really one of one, you know, Playboy piece? Because Slimer Sunday uh, did a collaboration with Playboy. But so I actually contacted Playboy magazine. I found their curation department. I talked to the curator of Playboy and I was asking him about that specific NFT. And I said, listen, is this like Playboy's first ever? And she says, this is our flagship heritage first ever one of one and so you know nobody gives a shit it's just like you know I, I think of that guy drift and it's like you know superstar amazing story amazing work he was selling pieces for you know 100 200 maybe 300 ETH. and i'm going this is a guy that you know has an incredible story takes amazing photography did some amazing things and generated a ton of hype within the market. So that hype is what became contagious. And everyone that followed that same hype jumped on the same train. They bought his work and basically, boom, his life is forever changed. And I'm going, that's drift. He's just some guy that climbs buildings and takes photographs. I own Playboy's only one of one, the first ever. And so people may not really address the fact that it's special now, but my guess is in five years, five, four, three, six, seven, I don't care. There's going to be that guy that, you know, hey, you know, I own every fucking Playboy magazine that's ever existed. I own Hugh Hefner smoking jackets. I hear that you possess the first ever NFT. And, you know, I own the first Playboy magazine, so I want to now own the first NFT. And I'm going to be like, yo, I bought this thing seven years ago and uh, 
you're not getting it for cheap. And so, you know, people seem to forget how many wealthy people there are in this world. But, you know, to some people, five, $10 million, it's like, here's five bucks, you know? So I'm waiting, I'm waiting for that time. And, you know, I, I, I felt, wait this, I felt as, the same way about, um, you know, I, I first learned about NFTs through, um, through tops. And I was, um, I was actually messing around with a, uh, just a, like a stupid, uh, card trader app. You know, it wasn't, it, it, not NFTs. It's just some stupid game that you download basically for, it was, it was Star Wars or whatever. But because that was done through tops, I was getting emails that they were going to be dropping their first ever baseball card NFTs. Um, and I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. You know what that, I mean, the first, NFT baseball cards like that sounds pretty important. So I remember I bought a, a few packs. It was on the Wax blockchain. It wasn't even on Ethereum. Uh, um, okay. And Wax was something back in the day, man. And I haven't yeah. heard much about that. Yeah, I know. Well, 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 look. That's and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, the the you worry about the token that it's that it's based on, but to me, it's like the same sort of situation. It's like someone who's a big baseball card collector. Well, here's this thing that, yes. you know, even, even a shitty, you know, baseball card um, from 1953 is valuable because it's the first year tops, you know, came out with baseball cards. So it's a similar sort of idea to me. In my head. And was um, it Mickey Mantle's uh, rookie yes. 1952? Yeah. Dude, yeah, a friend of, make- quick story. A friend of mine's um, grandfather used to work at Yankee Stadium, and he used to carry uh, Babe Ruth's cleats into the locker room. And oh he had all these baseball cards and autographed stuff from you know, the, literally like Murderer's Row Yankees. He had Mickey Mantle stuff, and oh. he had all of it. He had all of it in a box in his attic. That was under oh, the floorboard. It's gonna happen. I, my dad is a similar story, but go was, ahead. <laughs> so, so the family didn't know anything about this. Okay, knew nothing about. They found out about it, I guess, somehow um, after he passed away. So the the house had been sold. All this they they had actually contemplated um, dressing up like exterminators and trying to get in there. So they could try and go find it. I guess they never did. So no one knows. I don't even, for all we know, it could still be there. I don't know. But like, it's, it's a similar sort of crazy. It's like insane. Like you think about like, like, oh my God, I can't believe this stuff is there and we can't get yes. it or, you know. Um, and the other, the other thing I was thinking too, as you were talking about this stuff and um, it's, you know, it's like that scene in Back to the Future Part 2 where where Marty's playing Johnny Be Good and he starts going off playing, like doing Van Halen on the guitar and everyone just kind of stops, just like staring at him. And then he's like, you know, uh, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah, to me, with NFTs, it's a similar thing. You know, a lot of 100%, people yes, just don't yes, get yes. it yet, but their kids are going to love it and you have it and you're not letting go of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it is a time in the NFT space where things have really, the, the energy has kind of been sucked out of it. It's not as, you know, there aren't 12 or 15 Twitter spaces going on all at once with new PFP projects coming out. But you know what? I like that because to me, this is the, the time with the most opportunity to do the kinds yes. of things that you're talking about and, time and, to learn. and to scoop things up for, for at, at a very low price with great value um, it's amazing to me how sour people and depressed people get in these situations sometimes 
when I look it's at it, because like, they're only focused on prices. And that's the thing that drives me nuts where it's like, yo, that, that, that asset that you were so hyped about a couple months ago, it's still the same thing. It's just, everything goes through ups, ups and downs. There's big cycles. There's little cycles. If I buy an original, you know, flight of the navigator movie poster from 1985 or whenever that movie came out, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you. I don't care what it's worth in dollar amounts, really. I like it, and yes. it means something to me. Yes. I think it's And cool. you're proving my point about the Playboy, where it's like someone out there will say, I want that just because. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And look, and I... I and I try to have the same approach with my own art, my own NFTs. You know, I don't, you know, I, 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 you know, saw the demand was kind of really falling out of the market. And so I said straight out, I said, look, this is, you know, this piece I, I minted in August of, of uh, 2022. Um, I said, this is it. This is it until at least 2024, at least. And I put that out there and I said, look, this is, you know, <clears throat> I, you know, this is a slow burn. I'm not going to sit here and try to say that if you buy my stuff, you're going to turn around like it's a bored ape and sell it for millions of dollars. What I'm, what I'm asking you to do is see what I'm doing, see what I'm about, see, you know, um, the different things I'm trying to do right now. I'm, um, I'm making a podcast now, right? I'm trying to do different things. I'm trying to branch out. I'm trying to grow, you know, it's, it, it's all, it, it's, you know, it's about building real, value, um, making it fun for people, making it interesting for people to collect and getting people to fall in love with your product. It's not about, Hey, you know, this is a great opportunity. You can get this and then you can make all this money really quick and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not something that lasts. And I think yeah. that's the well, point you're driving there's home. There's two types of people in the market. There are those people that just, that's all I care about. You know, there's guys that there's nothing worse than the guy that acts like your friend that's going to screw you over. And it's like, there's a lot of big collectors out there now that have these reputations of like superheroes, but people don't really understand their, their early beginnings. And a lot of them came off as very, very shady. There was a lot of manipulation involved. And that's one little, you know, uh, area about the market that really, really is upsetting to me because we, we are dealing with the repercussions of it now. And, you know, one of the main things that I've talked about, is, you know, a couple of years ago, there's a bunch of big collectors that came in they started spending immense amounts of money. And then, I, I, you know, I watch all of this. Like, I'm, I'm a freaking psycho when it comes to, like, people doing shady shit. And it's like, just because it pisses me off. I hate seeing people get screwed over. And so there were a couple of collectors that, you know, came out of nowhere, swinging for the fences. And then, like, before you know it, Everyone in the space is like literally doing anything they can to get on those people's good side. And I'm going, this is scary. This is scary because I'm going, these guys are power. It's power. I am so grateful for the people who have collected my work, especially, you know, my my marquee pieces, my one of one pieces, the ones that are more expensive. Man, I just I, say your work is amazing, dude. And you oh, thanks, are dude. one of those. You're one of those guys that has that never before done type art where there's nothing that bothers me more than an artist that basically creates something that looks like something, you know, exists already. And they go, Oh, they were my inspiration. And I just want to say like, <laughs> you're not a real artist. You're not a real artist. You know, a real artist is someone that creates their own inspiration. Like well, dude, that's high praise a, coming from you. Yeah, man. That's well, high dude, praise. It's, the, it's the truth. Nobody in the world has done it. And you're the first guy. So in 10 years, 
I have that same vision for you and your work as I do for, like I say, with this, you know, first ever Playboy, because nobody's done it like in 10 years, you know, and that's what I tell people. I tell people right up front. I tell them right up front. Like when I, you know, I've done um, I had a nifty pizzas project, right, where I was making just not even pizza art, just actual pizzas, um, making them crypto tokens and then talking about um, making those pizzas available on an in real life menu. Um, look, these things can't happen overnight. Like I don't have, you know, we're not selling them right now. I'm not, people can't come into my pizza shop and buy them with Ethereum, but that's the plan. And it's, you know, that's, and if in, you know, I just hope I can prove to people that, you know, I try to stick by what I say I'm going to do. And I try to be very honest with people that, look, this isn't something that's going to flip around in two seconds. It's it's something that you can have a chance to get very, you know, early and be a part of early on. Um, and I think that when you're if you're collecting, you have to have that same mentality. Patty, I dude, I this has been such a fun conversation, man. You're the best. I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And um, please, please tell everybody who's listening uh, where they can follow you on social media and, and stuff like that. Uh, well, first off, I want to say, man, I had a great time talking to you today. Like, you know, this vibe was, was incredible. And I think Thanks, that, dude. you know, just, yeah, yeah I had, I had a, an absolute blast, but uh, you can find me on Twitter, Patty underscore stash is P A D D Y underscore stash. Uh, there's a fake account out there called real Patty Stash, uh, the guy. <laughs> you've had you've had uh, oh, quite a few fake yeah. accounts tried to make yeah, it. It's been it's brutal, and now yeah, it's, it's like I got the blue check mark, and like this guy has like sixty followers, no blue check mark, and people are like, "Is this you?" I'm like, <laughs> "Come on, man! You know it's not me. Like, you know why would I write you from a separate account?" But uh, anyway, yeah. So Pat, pretty much all my socials are Patty P A D D underscore stash. You know, I got my Instagram. I really don't use that that much. Twitter is the main spot you could find me. Uh, but I do want to say one thing. So I've been going through kind of a transition period the last few months of my life. Uh, you know, as you know, I overcame a recent you know health obstacle, and uh, it's it's been kind of strange for me, like getting back on my feet because. You know, for many years, I was, uh, you know, working as an investor, a trader, and, you know, I was uh, actually recruiting doctors or surgeons for a while as well. Um, But I'm looking to kind of transition a bit and get more into, you know, educational content, just trying to, you know, help people. And, you know, I realize it kind of comes off as cheesy, like, I just want to help people. But, you know, it's it's really it's what I want to do, and I don't uh, think it's cheesy I, at all, man. I don't think it's cheesy at all. Yeah, and so we need more you know, of that. I, yeah, so like you say, like I I am a man. It's it's tough because like I have this really analytical mind where I hyperanalyze, and I'll catch myself going over like the blueprints of something, you know, twenty times, and I don't do so. For the last couple months, I've been coming up with ideas and concepts of like content creation, uh, you know, YouTube channel, how I'm going to go about doing it. And, you know, I'm start, I'm, I'm planning to step my game up personally as far as actually doing because, you know, I haven't been doing a whole lot. I've had stuff going on with, uh, you know, my condo and all that crap. But um, I start, I'm planning to start a YouTube channel and like I just start I want to. I want to help people because there's so many people in this space that are clueless and, you know, they lose their money left and right. And so it's like, I would really like to try to create this like one-stop shop YouTube channel slash website that is like educational content 101 
what to do if you're getting into NFTs, what to look for, what not to look for, how to talk to artists, how to talk to collectors, you know, with, with crypto, like what to look for, what not to look for. And it's just, I want to create this like educational one-stop shop uh, website slash YouTube channel where it's just educational content that helps people that are just getting started. And uh, that's that's the focus that I've got. Dude, that you know, sounds amazing. Up. That yeah. sounds incredible. I'm really excited to see it. Everyone, please go follow Patty on Twitter. And if you're if you're worried that you're not following the right Patty, I only follow the real Patty. So if if I'm following blue check mark, Patty, yeah, blue check. blue check mark, go find him. Patty, thanks again, dude. This has been Thank so, you so much, much fun. Likewise, man. I had a blast. Let's do it again. This is the Just Listening Podcast. I gotta go. Go where? We just got I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.